the stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw, and that would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And it's just two words describe this man. The worm. That's all you need to know. One of the greatest characters of the Attitude Era, one of the greatest characters, period, and one of the best guys, period, as well. He is Scotty Too Hotty. Scotty, welcome to the show. Hello, gentlemen. How are you guys? Hey, man, great, Scotty. So so great to have you on here. John and I have been trying to get the worm on here uh, for, for a few months now. We finally got, finally tracked you down. And you're a man with a very busy schedule, and we appreciate you taking time for us. Man, Scotty, you go way, way, way back, you know, up in Maine, right? I mean, I, I didn't I didn't realize you were actually in the ring a WWE ring while you were still in high school. You must have been the, the, the dream cat for those little girls running around Maine, man. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I, I say it, uh, like the first first ring I was ever in was a WWF ring in uh, probably the late 80s. My friends and I used to sneak in and, well, we, we got to know the guy, uh, Frank Dawson was his name. He was one of the ring crew guys. D'Amico, actually met D'Amico on D'Amico's second day. Uh, and he was working with Frank and they would come to town we got to know those guys and uh, and uh, we would help them set the ring and they would go to lunch and he'd say, hey, I didn't say you could get in the ring, but wink, wink. And my buddies and I, 15 years old or so, we would get in the ring and mess around until somebody would uh, come along and throw us out. And, uh, you know, I, I specifically remember Jimmy Miranda coming down, looking down from the concourse and uh, yelling at us and getting us thrown out of there. Another time, Arnold Skolin. Uh, showed up and and uh, kicked us out of the ring in Bedford, Maine. So a uh, pretty cool story, you know, uh, to, to think all these years later. You know, I, I got to know both Jimmy Miranda and, and Arnold Skolin, and uh, it's such a crazy ride and uh, so appreciative. And, you know, I was thinking, I just came from the gym before I, I called in with you guys, and I was thinking, like, so many uh, career highlights with you, John, but, but then I think about life highlights and I think, and I was just, we, you know, we were talking before we went on, like being in, uh, uh, I was in Washington over the weekend, but I can remember you and I checking into TV in Atlanta and then sneaking off to go to the zoo to see the pandas and also uh, going to the World Trade Center, the towers before they fell. The only time I ever went up in the towers was, was with you after a uh, Madison Square Garden. We had an afternoon show at the garden and then a nighttime show at the garden and we had that break in between and you and I went over, you know, and uh, so it was pretty cool, man. And so think about this, though. I was you started with with WWF in what, 95, December 95. Yeah. So I was 22, almost 23. Um, my daughter is now almost 21. So I was basically my daughter's age when we first met, um, which is insane. You know, and I think about that. My son is going to be 18 in October. I was 18 when I had my first match as an extra at WWE. And I just go like, I don't feel old ever. I just go, where did that time go? It goes so fast, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny because a lot of guys don't want to see stuff. You know, they, they just, they want to go to the hotel. They want to go to the gym. They want to go to the arena, you know, whatever they do as far as their hobbies. But we wanted to see stuff. And yeah, so we're the ones. Foley was like that too. Some yeah. guys are like that. They want to go see out and see and do as much as you can since you're traveling places. Yeah, the Hardys used to call me the douche hitter because I like to go do shit. 
<laughs> you know, I, I never figured guys out. We go to the uh, Europe, we go over to Germany, you know, where they got some marvelous castles and palaces and everything. And everybody, oh, I'm just going to lay in my go hotel to the gym. room. I'm going to yeah. lay in my hotel yeah. room and kill time. Man, there, there's this damn palace right down the street down here. Let's yeah. go down there, you know. You yeah. go down downstairs in the lobby and try to find a few of the guys that were like you that would that enjoyed the site and get in a damn cab and go go visit. I never understood why they didn't want to go visit things. And, yeah, and, and you know, just, we're, we're, we're old country boys. John from Texas. I'm from Oklahoma. You're up in Maine. There ain't a lot from that where we're from, you know. So you right. want to go out and experience these things. Yeah, yeah, and you know, see the world on somebody else's dime, you know, and. Uh, that's what, that's what's really cool about this point in my career is I, I, I know that more than ever now. And I, my kids are older, so I'm able to stay longer if I want to stay somewhere or go earlier and, and just kind of, you know, see stuff and use this as a vehicle to travel and have some fun at this point with, with really no stress. You know, I make my own schedule and do what I want. And as a matter of fact, that this Friday I go to, um, I'll, I fly out to uh, uh, Tacoma, Washington, and I'll do a show there on Saturday, I do a seminar in the afternoon and then do a show at night. But I don't have another booking until the following Friday, which is in Northern California. Now I don't want to fly all the way out to Washington to fly all the way back to Orlando to turn around and go all the way back out there. So I was like, what can I do that I haven't done? So I'm flying to Alaska for four days. I've never, never been there other than a layover. So I'm going to go to Alaska uh on you know on the promoter's dime instead of flying me back to orlando they're, they're flying me to alaska and then the second promoter's flying me from alaska uh so it's it's like i said just using it as a vehicle to enjoy life at this point you know that's awesome what's the what's the weather like in alaska right now is it still uh, everything it was cold? it was pretty cold when i looked uh, i think it was like high of 50, high of 50 something like that so yeah yeah i've never been the only, the only time i went and then i know you were on this flight john uh, was we landed there on that flight to uh, Korea? Remember the really bad one we landed in Russia? And oh yeah, was, uh, yeah. We were bouncing all over the place. And yeah, when, when, Rick, sure when, when Rick Flair, who's been in a plane crash that somebody got killed in, says, "This is the worst flight I've ever been on." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, we're we're <laughs> that's not good. No, no, that was a rough one. So we stopped and refueled that time, didn't we? Yeah, we, we, we stopped in uh, somewhere in Alaska. I don't know if it was Anchorage or not. Alaska, but then somewhere in Russia. And yeah, it was, it was Russia, Russia when we were trying to land. Yeah, Russia, we weren't trying to stop in. Oof, yeah, <laughs> crazy. You know, I think I still have uh, the pic that poster of uh, Willie B, the famous gorilla from the Atlanta Zoo. Uh, the guy really? that was there with you, I had it hang in my garage forever. You know, I mean, that, Good looking freaking animal, man. That thing was majestic, man. It Wait a minute, John. You got Scotty's picture hanging in the garage. I mean, wow. Scotty. Well, that too. That too. <laughs> with, with the gorilla, too. That's right. At least you at least your picture is in the confines of the wall. Mine's out on a tree there with several holes in it, I think. Right, right. <laughs> Just for me shooting at it, nothing else. <laughs> nothing else. Yeah, Gerald and I, uh, Gerald and I regularly uh, went to a lot of places. So we <laughs> we were in a go kart race one time down in South Africa. Really? Oh yeah, and Gerald uh, somehow got underneath my go kart. Uh, sure <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, Scotty, uh, this promoter, how bright is this guy? You know, we're we're a bunch of wrestlers, and we got an afternoon to kill. It's an evening show, 
of course, you know how early we get some of these venues and everything. But the, it was on the circus grounds there, and there was a tent set up, and John and I were looking around. We had all afternoon to kill, and we happened to look. There's a damn go-kart over tractor across the, across the field over there. We kind of looked at each other, shook our heads. Next thing you know, all the wrestlers <laughs> are piled into the go-karts. This guy puts all the wrestlers on these go-karts, and he looks at John, and he said, I got two special for you guys. He said, these are really fast. He said, Go pick you out one. Be careful out there. Tell us to be careful. Now we're sober too. <laughs> That's awesome. Running around. Well, mine isn't mine isn't fast. I mean, they lied. John John's is real fast. I think I just went haywire here. But anyway, so he gets around. He will slap me. He gets so far ahead of. Me. He turned his cart sideways, so I can't get around him. Every every time I go, he's trying to block me. He's like Hermie Sadler out there, you know. So finally, I got to get a get a get a get a good head going. <laughs> so much for Jerry fixing his internet. Yeah, right. <laughs> I broadsided Jerry in the golf cart going about thirty miles an hour. Wow, that's what he's trying to get to. Wow. <laughs> And I think I, I was up, on that. I ended up on top of him and the golf cart. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I wish I did more in South Africa when I was there. I, I think when we did three or four shows, I think we worked with you guys, actually. It was me and, with me and Patricia. I wonder if that was the same trip. or I remember the big circus tent thing. Yeah, it was probably up in Pretoria. Yeah, I don't remember. Of, uh, Johannesburg. Yeah, huh. So how did you end up in the ring in WWE when you're 15. I mean, how did you end up getting a, attached to those guys that were part of the show? So what happened, the way we met them, we met Frank Dawson. Uh, we were standing in line at, at, at the concession stands and he gets in line behind us and he has a WWF ring crew shirt on, polo shirt. So we start talking to him and uh, nothing major comes of that. Just have a little conversation with him. A few weeks later, we see him on television. He's a plant. He's playing a fan with uh, uh, Bret Hart. He had Bret Hart, the Bret Hart sunglasses on, and Bad News Brown comes out of the ring, and and he's he's in a program with Bret. So Bad News rips the glasses off uh, Frank's head, rips them up, and you know, and that's it. Well, next time he comes to town, we see him again. He remembers us, and and you know, we're talking about the whole Bad News thing, and from there, we just got talking to him every time they came to town, and would help him set the ring, you know, probably, you know, he had three extra guys helping him set the ring. He probably did it a lot quicker than by himself. And, you know, back in those days, it was a different time, you know, it was a different time. So he'd never do that now, you know, and uh, he would just let us get in there and mess around. And what happened was uh, there was a guy who he said he had bought Rocky Marciano's old boxing ring. And he was there looking at the how the WWE ring was put together because he was trying to convert this whole boxing ring over to a wrestling ring. And he saw us in there who basically we were backyard guys at the time, never properly trained, but we had learned some stuff from a, from an old, uh, I think it was on NBC, but it came out on VHS years later. It was called secrets of pro wrestling. And then, you know, talked about working from the left side and posting on stuff and all the little basic stuff, you know? And uh, so we had basically self, trained ourselves in my mom's garage on a bunch of mattresses and then you know we get in the ring and we do all this stuff that we've been practicing in the garage and this guy sees us 
and uh, puts us on his first show in uh, November of 89, which was a half wrestling, half boxing show. And, uh, you know, maybe 75 people in the audience. Most of them were being boxing fans. And, you know, this guy runs an independent show, the Night of Survivor Series, you know, because Survivor Series used to be on Thanksgiving, you know. And uh, so it wasn't a real bright move to start with, but it gave us a start, you know, and from there it was just networking and meeting these guys and, you know, some guys that worked for Kowalski, got to know them. They helped get us booked around New England and it just snowballed to the point where I met, uh, you may know him, John. Uh, uh, he was in Dallas as Playboy Vince Apollo with Gary Hart in the eighties. He was a manager, but he was Phil Apollo up in the Northeast, met him on a show. He had been doing some extra work for uh, WWE and, uh, just talk, talk to him a little bit on this independent show. And then a few months later, uh, I just, I may have not even been 18 yet. Uh, but he called me, I was working at a KFC cooking as a teenager. And, uh, he, he tracked me down. Cause I told him in the conversation we had that I worked at a KFC outside of Portland, Maine, tracked me down and said, Hey, WWE wants me to bring another guy as an extra. Would you be interested in going? And that's, that was my foot in the door. And then for six years, uh, just did extra work, you know. So, that, and that's so that's why I remember you me. Never, were you never trained? Never trained. Shocking, right? <laughs> when you look at my technical my technical skills, <laughs> <laughs> Jerry used to say that about me too. <laughs> you, you know what's funny? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what's funny though is I, I thought I always felt like it was detrimental to 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 my career and style, but now looking back, I go, I wonder. You know, I don't know. I go, maybe it, it, it was a positive in some ways because I had my own way of doing things and it made me different. You know, and I wasn't it wasn't like anybody else. I, you know, I don't know. It's just a thought I've had recently where I always felt like it, it hurt me, but maybe maybe it helped me, you know, because, you know, you guys know once you know the basics in this, the rest of it's just you figuring it out on your own. Right. This year, it's time to get off the couch and get back into the bedroom. Blue Chew can help. Guys, we know that confidence can take you far in life. And when you feel confident, you are at your best, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. They always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? So if you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we got a special order deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code JBLGB. That's JBLGB at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. The BlueChew.com promo code JBLGB to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. 
Scotty, you and I had a similar upbringing in this business. I was I was never trained either. I, I set up the ring just like you did. I went around, and you, you know how it is. But you set up the ring, and there are always a few of those guys that come early. Right. They come out to the ring, look at the ring and everything, and and you know they knew I was a college wrestler. Hey, kid, you show me a takedown. You show me some some shoot holds. They shoot shoot moves. Yeah. And I'll show you a little bit of this business, you know, and that's basically, I'd learn a headlock. I'd learn an arm bar and a, and a, and a, and a leg takedown and stuff like that. And that's basically how I, how I got in the business. And one day I was with my brother, somebody didn't show up. How about your brother over there? But Jack said, he can't work. And one of the guys that I used to roll around with, well, he, he rolls around with us, you know, when he's setting up the ring, give him a shot. So I bought yeah. my brother's boots and tights and went out there and had my first match. And that's it, right? It's yeah, that's great. Right. It's, I wouldn't trade uh, the way that I started for anything. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I look back now and, and uh, very fond memories of which seemed uh, you know, when you're going through it and you're making 10, $20 for, to, you know, to drive hours to do a, a shot somewhere. And, you know, it's, it, 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 it sucks at the time, but looking back, I go, wow, like great, great memories, you know? Yeah. When you tell somebody you got a $20 payoff or $30 payoff, they look at you like, what the hell are you doing it for? <laughs> you know? yeah, right, right, right. I, was, I love it, man. That's yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Same reason I still do it. One of my first matches were at the Villa Villa Inn in Garland, Texas. It was a man. It was a it was a bad area, and I got ten dollars from Killer Tim Brooks, and one of the guys quit because he got five. Wow! <laughs> you know, there's, wow. there's really there's really not a lot of difference here. It, it's double, but it's really not a much, doesn't make much right, difference. Right, right, right. Yeah. And that's, you know, when I do my seminars now, that's, that's something I, I try to hit home is don't, don't get so caught up in, you know, when you're first starting out in the, in the, in the, the financial part of it. And, you know, because I think back, I turned down some bookings way back, you know, arguing with a promoter over $10 or $5. No, I'm not doing it unless you pay me this. And uh, most likely something more valuable will come out of, you know, if you can get out and get some reps in front of a live crowd, you know, you might meet somebody or, you know, make a connection, learn something. It's most likely going to be more valuable than any any payday you're going to make when you first start out on independent. You know. Did you ever hear how Arnie Scullin was smartened up to the business? No. So Arnie, I don't know how he got in the business, but he was wrestling, and he'd been wrestling for like six months, and finally he pins one of the guys uh, in the match, and he realizes, oh no, I'm going to have to fight the guy back in the dressing room because you know the, he the guy he never beat the guy. Yeah. He comes back to the dressing room, everybody's laughing, and he realized it was a work. Uh, <laughs> but he had wrestled for six months not knowing it was a work. Wow. So some, some tough old bastard was in there with him who was obviously smartened up, and Arnie was doing the best he could, and some guy was still beating him. <laughs> wow. Wow. Different Arnie times. Was, Arnie was so cool. You know, I loved in the 70s when he was managing uh, Bruno or he's managing uh, the Giant. You know, he just – he had that towel over his shoulder. He just, you know, he was always so cool. Yeah, yeah. What a great guy, too. Yeah, Arnie was just so full of confidence, you know. Arnie was a, was a hell of a shooter when he was a young young lad, you know, growing up around there. I think that's how he kind of eventually uh, migrated toward our business there was was through that through his amateur career. Vince Senior, or maybe it was even Jess, uh, the grandfather that, that discovered Arnie, but Wow, what a, what a good man he was, and never upset about nothing. You know, you no. can, the biggest thing that happened in the ring, and come back saying, Arnie, 
Don't worry about it, kid. It'll be all right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Were you there, Jerry, in Madison Square Garden when we got Arnie so worked up you wanted to beat up Lou Albano? <laughs> no, I love oh to see that. <laughs> so Lou, Lou comes in, and you know Lou, Lou had a little bit, a little bit of a little bit of a drinking problem, and so Lou shows up bombed, and he's telling the same stories over and over and over. And Arnie tells him to get out of the dressing, get the hell out of the dressing room. So anyway, we told Arnie, said, "Hey man, Lou's outside waiting on you." And so we got Arnie so worked up, he went looking for Lou. We're going like, oh my God, <laughs> we got we got to stop it because <laughs> Arnie was going to kill him. Yeah, that's going to kill him. So, so Scotty, you you kind of uh, poked around the the independent scene what five or six years, and I I, I read or, or listened to something that you were on uh, recently. Maybe I think I was reading something. Or brother love Bruce Pritchard is actually the one that offered you your first contract. How did how did that come to be? Well, so so I think probably what you're talking about is uh, I didn't realize until Bruce told it on his podcast that he and Pat. I, so I had been working as an extra for years, and then Pat and Bruce went to a Kowalski show to take a look at Terrorizing, which was Triple H. I, I happened to be on the show also. So they saw me work an actual match rather than just being an extra. You know, they saw me work an extra, an actual match in person for the first time. You know, you and know I what, 17, 18 there. So probably by this time, I was probably close to 23, somewhere in that area. 23, 20, I think I was 24 when I signed. So I would say 23, somewhere, somewhere around at 22, 23, probably. You know, I know Paul went to, WCW right after that, I believe. Um, but uh, that's why they were there. And that's, you know, that goes back to what I was saying, you know, when you argue with a promoter over five or $10, you never know who you're going to meet at the show or who's going to see you. That might, might be worth more than what the, the financial part of it was, you know? Yeah. So Bruce, Bruce saw me there apparently. And then, uh, uh, so it wasn't 96 was when I, when I signed my first contract and that was when they, they started that light heavy, that first light heavyweight division with Taka and Brian Christopher and, and all those guys, you know, what are your first uh, days you rode with me and Ron, didn't you? You and Barry picked me up. Me and Barry, me and Barry. And uh, yeah, I flew in the mobile and it was you and Barry. So, so I, I have a layover, which I think it must've been Dallas. And two of my favorites growing up were Barry Windham and Shawn Michaels. And I, I, here I am sitting at a gate, you know, what it was, what am I, 20, 23, 24 this time. And I'm going, they, they call me to go to raw, you know, and I, this was in May. I had already been under contract for a couple months, but hadn't done anything. They'd been to Stanford to go to the towers to meet with creative and all that, but nothing was decided on. They just said, Hey, we need you in mobile Monday. So I go there, I end up flying in with Sean and Barry Windham and, uh, and, uh, I couldn't, I wasn't old enough to rent a car on my own at the time. Cause I think you had to be 25, right. And maybe still, but, uh, so I ended up jumping in with, with you and Barry down to the arena and mobile. Yeah. Crazy. And then, uh, you know, you and I rode together for quite a bit when I first came in. Yeah. I remember, you know, it's funny we do this now and I'm talking into my cell phone and I could see both of you guys who are in different places, but I can remember like having, I mean, to call for my home phone and you and I, like, we would have to make plans. Hey, my flight gets in at this time and my flight, you know, I'll get the car. You want to get the rooms and, you know, everything was done by, by phone at the time. You know, there was no internet, no, no, it wasn't for, you know, a few, few years later until that all came along. So. 
Yeah, and, and, and it was the hard part connecting at the airport, you know, because you didn't have yeah. cell phones just to text a guy or something about coming around. You know, you had, you had, you had pay phones, and that was yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I think about how did we find the arenas all the time? I know we did it, but I'm like, how did we just happen to pull up on it? You know, did you, did we have to stop and keep asking directions? I don't, I don't remember. We stopped one time up in New York and Ron asked the guy, he goes, how far is it to whatever Rochester or whatever it is? And the guy goes, oh, it's, it's an hour, two, maybe three. <laughs> and Ron, Ron says, that makes a difference to us. And yeah. <laughs> and the guy goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an hour, two, maybe three. <laughs> so right. you never you never you know you found out real quick when you ask guys directions you go you know if you go down here no 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 if you go down here no 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 if you go and find yourself, thank yeah. you uh, yeah yeah I, I, i'll leave now <laughs> yep so you worked as an extra for all those years do you have got any stories with me with the top, who, who are the good guys to work with who are the bad guys uh, to work with you know what everybody was always really good to me you know um i started with uh First match was with the Beverly Brothers in August of 91. And then uh, John Nord, the Berserker, a couple times. You know, the Beverly Brothers a couple of times. Rick Martell, Mr. Perfect, Shawn Michaels, Yokozuna. Oh, and like, dude, like, I'm in high school at this point, And I'm wrestling the best in the world, who is still considered some of the best of all time. You know, like, how, how am I supposed to go from being in a locker room with Hogan and Undertaker and Sid Vicious, and now I have to go back and sit in class the next day. Like, how am I supposed to turn out normal? <laughs> you know? <laughs> hey, goodness, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's uh, like I said, like what a ride! It's been so awesome, and just to uh, do the things I've done and and to have my career. You know, I think both. You know, all of us were part of the Attitude Era. What a time to be at the top of your game. I mean, it seemed like. The entire world was watching at that time. You know, I can remember going to the theme parks. You guys know I'm a huge Disney nerd. I'd go to Disney World and you would see just, I mean, probably at least 10 wrestling shirts between WCW and WWE at the time. You know, that's when the war was going at, you know, DX shirts and Austin 316 and, and then the NWO stuff. And it was just, it was a wild time. And I don't, I think sometimes I even forget about how crazy it was until I see some some of the footage and the signs and the crowds. And we were so lucky to be a part of that time, I think. Yeah. There was one time that the NFL had even talked about, I don't know how seriously moving their Monday night show to Thursday night, because the ratings were so good between WCW and WWE. I mean, the yeah. ratings were, you know, people say, will it ever happen again? There's not a chance. Well, I guess, yes, there's always a chance, very slim chance. It could ever happen again, that two yeah. shows get that hot. And go into a battle with each other where we one of them is going to go out of business. Yeah, head to head show. Yeah, it was a crazy time. Like it was a real war, right? Like, like it was. Uh, you know, being an old timer, it used to amaze me. We go, I go into an airport, and it, just like you said, and uh, you know, I come from a time where there was no merchandising, none of that stuff. Go into an airport, and they kids getting off the plane, especially down here in Florida, all these spring breakers, you start looking around, here are all these t-shirts, you know, Stone Cold, you know, APA, um, everything. Uh, and you'd see them just, they were, they were the majority in the airport sometimes, you know, over NFL jerseys and over NBA jerseys, you know, and Michael Jordan was hot and all those guys were hot in the NBA, but 
I think uh, Stone Cold and uh, those guys were out selling the hell out out, out of the NBA with their T-shirts. Wasn't it? Uh, Stone Cold had the number one T-shirt for like three or four years in the world running. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, know, you remember how hot Steve was? I mean, every uh, building we put his name on, we sold out. Yeah, every night. It was every insane. Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the shows were incredible. Oh, the whole you ever see those cards pop up now and you know somebody tags you in something or something and it's you see the, the old house show cards and it was from top to bottom, like everybody was a star, you know, from from Crash Holly to Kind Tie to to us, you know, it was just everybody had their place and everybody was a legit star at the time, you know, and it was just such an insane time. It's such a great time to be a part of. You know, Scott, Scott, did your, 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 your first, uh, your first run when, when Bruce come up to you and offered you that contract and, you know, you're a young man, just, you know, trying to make it like all of us were at the business when you get your break, what, what was the, what was your parents take on it? What you getting in the business and being this nobad running around the country and not and making 20, $30 a night? Did you have support from your family and all that? I, I did, which is crazy now being a parent of kids that age. Like, I mean, I used to jump in a car and drive, you know, to south of Boston, which was three hours from my house, which means that here I am, a teenage kid driving through Boston, you know, and you know, Boston traffic still isn't fun as, as an adult, right? So driving out down there every weekend, you know, and uh, yeah, they were both very supportive. My dad was was, was super supportive and uh, was a fan of it all. And he, he went to a lot of stuff throughout the years. Um, and my mom was just like, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, and and, and, and neither one of them ever tried to steer me away from it. You know, and that's why I try to do the same with my kids. Don't, don't do something for the money. Just do it. Find something that you love and it will never, you know, I know that's a bit of cliche, but it'll never be work. You know, for, you have to do that. You, you spend so much of your life working that you have to find that thing you loved. And that's the, you know, and that's, that's what it's always been for me. I never said, Hey, I'm going to work today. It was, I'm, you know, I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to perform, you know, even when I, when I started at the PC as a coach, I would catch myself telling the kids, Hey, I'm going into work. And then I would change it to, no, I'm going to the PC. I don't want it to be, don't want it to be work. You know, Scott, I just remembered uh, when you were talking about your, your family, you cut a promo one time in Portland, you got in trouble over, over yeah. old heat, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what happened with that, that, and that, that whole story goes way back um, to high school. What, what happened was I promoted here. I am in high school. I'm promoting, I promoted a couple shows for the marching band. I had some cousins and stuff in the, in the marching band as a fundraiser. Um, they were going to Pasadena to the Rose bowl one year. So we, I put on a show, an independent show, booked everybody and, uh, and to raise money for them. And we had the, the wrestling coaches who was the, he was the gym coach and the wrestling coach, the high school wrestling coach. Um, his office was in the boys locker room. So he had a glass window, why? which is a little weird thinking back on. But, but anyways, I asked him to hang a poster on the inside of his office facing out because I knew if you hang it in the boys' locker room, the boys are going to tear it down, you know? So, and he refused to do that. And he said, uh, you don't understand how, how my kind of wrestlers feel about your kind of wrestling. <laughs> and from that day on, uh, and he was my friend's dad. From that day on, we never saw eye to eye. And then for whatever reason, whenever I would come to town with WWE, the media, the reporters would go to him to interview him. And the guy would bury me, and, you know? And so, uh, so uh, I can't even remember what I said in that, in that, in that promo, but. 
I remember, I know, part, I I remember part of it. It wasn't. Re- it was not repeatable. Yeah, <laughs> but it was awesome. We were popping like crazy. We had, we had, we knew there was real heat there. Yeah, yes. But he had he. Had, what happened was he buried me leading up to that show in the paper. He said something about oh that's a, he. He said I was a good kid, but I was no wrestler. That's what he said. Oh, wow. So uh, I, I think I quoted that, and then I said we got two words for him. You know, and at the time the DX thing was hot, and you know had the crowd do the suck it. Well. Nothing was really said to me that day, but the next day I got to TV in Boston and Vince pulled me aside and said, what were you thinking cutting a promo on, on a local guy? And I told him the story and he didn't say much more, but he gave me like a little, almost like a smile, like he understood, <laughs> like he understood it, but he had to rep- reprimand. Like I was defending us was what I was doing. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, uh, we thought, and, we, we thought it was great. I, I remember you said something about it because I got in trouble. It was worth every bit of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that was the night we all danced. You and Ron and. Oh, uh, that's Herb right. Yeah. And uh, Bill DeMott. Yeah, that was fun, man. That was, that was a fun night. That was definitely a highlight. Scotty, was there any, ever any doubt in your mind that this is what you wanted to be? Did, 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 you, did you ever think, you know, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a coach, I want to be a, anything like that? I want to be a wrestler. That was it. Since I, I go back to the first WrestleMania is when I can remember really getting hooked on it. Uh, maybe right before that. I remember the build up to the first WrestleMania and just being like, I was this wrestler, this, you know, tunnel vision of wrestling. And then, you know, I don't, I was a small kid. I didn't think, uh, you know, I was ever going to, be able to make it but then you know i think you know sean came along brett came along uh, you know one two three kid came along you started to see the frames change guys start to get a little bit smaller and it made it a little bit more realistic you know of a dream for me and then you know i had no idea it would become what it what it did and, and i would be able to be able to go on and do what i did and uh have so much fun with it i'm so you know it's so thankful, you know, so thankful for it. Even going back on this last time with the, as a coach and being able to have the opportunity to coach, you know, everybody coming up through and be a part of that and produce, you know, to produce um, the way I did. And, and, and Mr. Briscoe, I can remember, I don't know if you remember this, Chavo and I had a match on Sunday Night Heat leading into a pay-per-view. And we went way over on our time. And we were the last match on Heat. And they were supposed to play a package going into the pay-per-view right before, you know, right before the pay-per-view comes on. The last thing you see is this, this package promoting the show and Chavo and I went so far over that they had to scratch it, but you were our, you are our agent that night. And uh, I didn't realize how important time was until you start being part of that, that, that side of it, you know? Um, so I'm sorry if I got you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, that, that, there were so many times I've forgotten all those times. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, you know that you know we're all fans, and that's part of sitting there grilling. You know, and and time the matches out. You get, I mean, you know, backstage we as performers, we're watching our fellow uh, uh, wrestlers out there performing. We right. get into it as much as the audience. And it's sitting there. I remember watching these pay-per-view matches, you know, WrestleMania, and I'm looking, man, this is heavy. This is going to go heavy. And, yeah. uh, you know, you start thinking, but not one second are you getting upset. I mean, you get upset internally, but not one second are you angry at anything because you're, you're a fan. You're enjoying what you see, and there's no way that you want to interrupt the flow of that match and tell right. them, hey, man, right. you know, go, get out of the right. ring. You know? 
Right. You just don't do that because we're fans and we're all fans and we enjoy our, our fellow competitors out there competing all the time. Absolutely. I got but to watch Sometimes it. you got to read the riot act to guys like John that don't understand that there's other matches. <laughs> 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 they told us one time in a tent town, uh, it was, uh, I don't want to mention the agent because I didn't like it. Uh, but he, he said, uh, how about we beat you and Ron first? And you could tell he's like kind of taking a shot at us, you know? I said, that's a great idea. Uh, and I was, you know, we're, we're in the tent towns, you know, Hyannis and all the, you know, the down in Cape Cod. Yeah. And, and I said, how about this? How about I just come in the ring? Cause it was like us and the brood and Edge and Christian and the Hardys or something like that. And I said, as soon as I climb through ropes, have gangrel DDT me and beat me right there. And he goes, that's a great idea. <laughs> Ron never gets in the ring. I look around. Ron still has his shirt on, his, wa- his watch on. <laughs> He's got no knee pads. His boots aren't even laced. And we come up there. Ron comes down the aisle, stops. I get beat. We're all going back. We're in the car in the next town by the time the guys are out of the ring. Yeah, so. that's awesome, right? Awesome. Those are fun towns. Those are fun Those shows. are fun towns. Yeah, we had a good wow. – I, I enjoyed the, t- the tent town. I think there's a picture of Ron standing in the corner with his shirt on and his watch on his boots on lace somewhere out there. I think I've seen a picture of that. Uh, it was so funny. He had his watch on, no tape. <laughs> Still had his necklace on. <laughs> funny. It's, uh, it's like a. Uh, Arnie, Arnie in White Plains. We always say Arnie's still getting paid, even though he's been dead for 10 years. Still yeah, right. Over White Plains. White Plains. Yeah, he, right. he and Tim White both. Yep. That was a fun one, too. Poughkeepsie also. Poughkeepsie was part of that loop, usually. I'll tell, you may have been there at the time. You know, they had the curtain, and they had little holes in the curtain where, you know, guys could look through the holes, you know, and, and see it, you know, whether he could kayfabe. Right. So, you had Taker standing by Brett, who's in the next pay-per-view. They're, they're headlining it. And had all these guys standing up there on stage, and everybody's looking through the little hole in the thing, you know, <laughs> looking at the show. Owen grabs the curtain and pulls, he the, whole, it pulls the whole thing back. And there's the entire roster standing with each other. That's awesome. That's... <laughs> it was so funny. Brent was so mad. At oh, Owen. I, bet. I bet. That sounds like a total Owen thing, though. Yeah. Scott, you were, you were, we were in the ring with you when you created the worm, right? Yeah, that's a, so, uh, you know, I get asked about it all the time in my interviews, like how it started. And, and it's, it's, I specifically remember you, because I think we were with Ronnie and Donnie at the time, you know, we hadn't even become too much yet. I mean, too cool yet. We were still too much, Brian and I, and, and I know we worked like a lot of eight man. So with Ronnie and Donnie and I can remember you specifically yelling across, like tell them to do the worm. And it wasn't, you know, what eventually became the whole WORM and the who, who, who. It was just me dropping down and doing the worm, you know, and I would do it just to pop you guys. But then you would come over and I remember you coming over and stomping on me, you know. Well, Ron, Ron, Ron stopped the worm first, right? Because he didn't know what was it, it was. was it? I know it was with you guys. I thought it was I think you. It was Ron, I think it was Ron doing the worm. Yeah. And, and Ron had no idea what it was. So Ron just starts putting the boots to you. Yeah. Yeah. But that was <laughs> just like on our entrance and stuff, you know. And, but, and then you, you, you tell Ron, Ron, I'm, I'm going to do this worm. Ron goes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, damn. Yeah. Right, right. Scotty, how did, how did the worm get created? And how, how did you guys start that? I, I, I've read where, you know, I know how it, 
had evolved where Lawler was calling out the letters and stuff like that. But how how did they, that first night you you guys were John and Ron and the guys? How how did they, how did that come about? So I was doing it when Brian and I were still just too much before before the too cool thing. And I would like I said I would just do it on the entrances and stuff like that. I wouldn't really do it in the match. But then uh, once we became too cool. Uh, the day after we we did a uh, a backstage pre-tape for Sunday Night Heat saying that too much was no more, but we're now too cool. So that we, we did that on Tuesday night. The next day we were in Portland, Maine, of all places, and Brian tears his ACL. So he's out for six months or so. They put me on some some house shows in the meantime by myself. And you know, I knew I had this new character to work on. So I was just throwing shit out there and and I would. You know, I, would, I remember working with Albert and I would lay him out by the ropes and I would just run and hit the other ropes and I'd grab the ropes and put on the brakes and I would just stop down and worm across to him. I was dropping elbows and headbutts and all kinds of different stuff, just trying it out. And I didn't know what I had, but I knew I was getting a reaction from the audience just from worming across to him. You know, and then at some point I just started hopping to get to the other side. And that's when I heard Lawler on Raw one night say W-O-R-M. So, I, okay, now I need to make it four hops. And then with each one, ask him to keep keep doing that on commentary. And sure enough, it just worked. It, you know, conditioned the audience over the next month or so. And they were doing, you know, they were, they were spelling it out. And it just, every little piece of it just kind of fell into place over time. And and, uh, you know, I, 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 put, I put a post out the other day just saying like it wasn't, it wasn't, I don't think it was what I was doing. It was the audience. It brought the audience into the match, you know, and, and it gave them, it brought them into the ring because they got to be the ones that yelled W-O-R-M and the who, who. It's kind of like everybody's catchphrases, you know, and all of Rock's catchphrases. It, it brought them in. It made them part of, a sh- part of the show, which was something really big at the time, you know, and it's something... And my God, what a, what a part of pop culture that began. And pretty soon you're having NBA guys, you're having NFL guys after a touchdown, and their celebration is the worm. Yeah, and this when you'd see that, I mean, wow, that had to give you something, something inside, man. I, I started. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, and it's uh, even over the last couple of years, there's been some big uh, artists, music artists, rappers, and stuff that put in their songs, you know, and I'm like. How is this? Like, I was a mid-card guy at best. Like, how are these guys, like, 22 years later talking about this? But like I said to you guys earlier, like, these guys who are now in their 30s were 10, 11-year-old kids when this was at its height, you know? So it, it kind of makes sense, you know? And, Scotty, you, you can say you're a mid-card guy, but if the arena had 20,000 people or 70,000 people or 200 people, every one of them loved the worm. Yeah, and when was, you would do it, they'd all do all the stuff with you. The woo, woo, <laughs> it was, it was awesome. Yeah, amazing, and it's still like you know, it's still getting that reaction now, which blows it just it blows my mind when I go, you know, go over to Ireland or go to Scotland, and there's these these kids that weren't even born when this thing was was at its height that are that are coming along for this ride now, and it's you know, it's probably a lot to do with YouTube, a lot to do with the network and them being able to see all of this stuff and their parents turning them on to it. And it's just, it's, it's. Where, where did you first get the worm? Where did you first see the, the move itself? So I was, <laughs> I've never to this day danced in public as myself, <laughs> like at a wedding in a club. Like I hate all of that. I'm terrified of it, uh, of dancing. Um, but I, 
when I was in elementary school at fourth, fifth, sixth grade, breakdancing was really big. So, you know, the break in movie came out and break in Two, electric boogaloo and all that stuff was, was hot in the eighties. And, uh, I did a little bit of breakdancing with the backspin and the moonwalk and the, in the worm. And we would do this at recess, you know? So it, it's, it's just something that, that I, I started doing as a Wait kid. Wait a minute. Mike, Michael Hayes didn't invent break, uh, the, the moonwalk. No, he did. Well, okay. we'll say he did. Right. Okay. Michael, <laughs> Michael Hayes taught Buzz Aldrin how to moonwalk. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, you never know what's going to work. Right. Like you just like who in a million years would have you ever never know that what's going to work. Out. That's why we're, we're, no. up in, we're, out, we're up in Canada. It was either Edmonton or, or Calgary when you did the worm the first time me and Ron. Yeah, I thought it was Western Canada somewhere. Yeah, and uh, do the worm, do the worm. You know, it's crazy that people, people just bought it. You know, but but you don't know until you try. That's it. That's it. It's like it's like Pat McAfee now. You know, getting up on a on a table and dancing to a song that that's a big risk. Yes. And if it works, you got something. Everybody loves it. But if it doesn't, you're stuck on a table dancing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you're screwed. Yeah. But you got to try. That's it. And I, and I say that very in a positive way for Pat. You know, he's willing to try. You yeah. are willing to try. You know, yeah. but you have to be willing to do that. To, you to to try some. You have to be willing to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The worst. I think the yeah. worst thing you can do is just stay in that safe zone, and you know, just like you have to try. Like you said, try different stuff. You never know what is going to work in this. Like. It's like Steve Kern was on with us a while back. And I love Steve's mindset of, of coaching. And he's, he talks about emotion versus movement. That's it. And yep. what you see now when, when guys are nervous is movement. Yep. And they put in tons of spots and tons of this because they're scared about anything being uh, quiet. Right. Anything being still for a moment. But that's not emotion. Right. The worm was 100% emotion. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing to teach, though, right? Is that is that uh, emotion over motion and, and being okay with silence, you know? And because when you're young, you just okay, I have to do something to get. They're not reacting. I have to do something, you know. And it's just it, that's that is definitely the hardest thing I found coaching was was trying to get everybody to slow down. And and you, you sound like an old guy. I think I always felt like I sounded like the old guy when I was telling them to slow down because you don't really get it until you're old. Older, I think, you know, and it start, all starts to click as you get older. Okay, I, I get what that old guy was talking about. He wasn't just trying to hold me back. He actually knew what he was talking about, you know. Yeah, they always say you spend your first five years learning what you shouldn't do, you know, as yeah. far as being hurt. You know, you don't know what, you know, yeah. you, you think you're fine. You're 23 years old, 24 years old. You think you can fall off the top rope every single night. And, and then you realize yeah. after about five years, you're going, you know what? I've got a separated shoulder. I've, I've broken my wrist. I'm, I need to figure out something else. Yes, yes. I I, I, I remember asking this uh, Shawn Michaels at the PC one day. He's like, do you think, and I asked you, and I know you went through your back injuries and stuff, and uh, I feel like you don't become a great worker until you've had a series of injuries where you have to learn to not rely on the moves anymore. And like, how do I get around this? And how do I elongate this career that I have? I know it was for me anyways, after my next surgery, I was like, I don't need to go to the top rope anymore. There's nothing that I do that's going to look better than what the Hardy boys are doing, you know, so they can do that. And I'll just, I need to figure something else out, you know? So I don't know. I I feel like it helps, but. 
I, I think you're com completely right on that. You know, we've all had nights where we go to the ring and we're, we're sick. We got the flu or we, we we're just sick, you know, from travel and everything like that. And you go in there and you slow the match down and you work the match and all of a sudden it starts feeling good. Yeah. And you realize what those old timers have been telling you all these years, you know, take your time out there, enjoy what you're doing, let the people enjoy what you're doing. So, you know, when you, when you tell these kids to slow down, they, they experience a lot naturally and don't realize it really because when they're sick or not feeling good, they slow their matches down and let their work catch up to them, you know? And, yeah. uh, and I think that's the, I, I think you hit on the key right there. Slow the hell down and you'll enjoy it a hell of a lot more and you'll yeah. last a hell of a lot longer. Yeah. By now, you know that everything is crazy overseas and well, that's created some volatility in the market. We actually saw rates tick down a little bit this week. We don't know how long it'll stay that way. All the experts are predicting that there is going to be a rate hike this month in the month of March. Some are saying 25 basis points. Others are saying 50. What does that mean? It means waiting will cost you money. And by the way, I want to mention, this is still a once in a lifetime opportunity, just based on your real estate values. You see all of a sudden your house is worth considerably more than it was just a couple of years ago. And as a result, you can use that newfound equity to change your life. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. And how can they afford to do that without their payments going sky high? We get rid of all their other debt. And I mean it as a heads up, what would you do? You had no credit card debt. Just like that, it was all paid off. How much easier would life be if those car payments, whoop, they're out of here, no more car payments. That is the story that we're able to help our friends and family with at SaveWithConrad.com. You see, the interest you pay on your credit cards, not tax deductible, and sky high. The interest you pay on your car loans, buddy, where is that going? What if we could restructure all of your debt use some of this newfound equity and at the same time, get you out of debt faster. You see what we're talking about is reducing the time on your mortgage. Yes. We're going to get you a great rate, but if you're in a 30 year loan, think about what your life looks like 30 years from now, man, life gets a lot easier when you're completely debt free. And that's what we want to help you do. And by the way, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And oh, as a heads up, if you've been thinking, Hey man, I like my house, but my kitchen's kind of outdated. What if we could get you the cash you need to turn your average kitchen into something your wife loves and it wouldn't change your monthly payment at all? Why wouldn't you do that? You see, you'd be reinvesting back in your own property. That's going to make your house worth even more. And oh yeah, you can do it with cheaper monthly payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Now I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to go check out our reviews for yourself. See what some of our new family members are saying at ConradReviews.com. You'll see there, we've got over a thousand verified reviews. Our average rating is 4.72. And if we were a restaurant with a thousand reviews and a 4.72 rating, I know where you're eating dinner and I know where you need to do your next loan. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's SaveWithConrad.com. I was working with Eddie Guerrero one time. We followed The Undertaker. And he went out and on purpose had a hell of a match. You know, it's one of those things, follow this. You know, it's you know, yeah. you know, I yeah. used to do it back in the day. Yeah. And I'm sitting there watching that match with Eddie. I'm going, oh my God, we've got to follow that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Oh no. So we get out there and I've got in my mind, we're going to do this spot. I'm going to go to the top rope. Eddie's going to come after me. We're going to look at the crowd. We're going to do all this stuff. And, you know, 
and, and I got a headlock on Eddie. I called the first spot and he goes, no, no, Essie, just sit here. <laughs> so I sat there for a while. I said, all right. And I called the spot again. He goes, no, no, Essie, just sit here. So I called the spot again. He goes, no, no, Essie, sit here. And I've realized right away what he was doing. You know, you, yeah. you, when they're up here and you got to go 30 something minutes, you can't yeah. keep them up here. Right. You, you got to bring them down. Yeah. You know, but that, that takes a lot of confidence to, to do something like that. Yep. Yep. And so many guys, I think when they get out there, they're, you know, they're green or whatever, they haven't experienced that. And they just think, okay, I'm going to create all this movement right in a row. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to get them up. I'm going to get in chant, chanting, holy shit. That was awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah, all yeah. This stuff. And you, you can't do that for 30 minutes. Right. Night after night after night. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to figure out a way to bring them down, to bring them back up. And it's just, it's a true yep. art. And that, and that yep. art is, it takes a while to learn. Yeah, for sure. And then, like, so like, you know, we had the luxury of working with guys like Eddie Guerrero, right. Who like, yeah. and you, you can, if he tells you to slow down, you can trust him. You know, whereas right. now it's, everybody is kind of almost at the same level. Not, not quite, but you know what I mean? It's there's, and I think that's a little bit of what's missing right now is just guys who've been doing this for years and years. Or, or enough of those guys, you know, you have your Randy Orton's and a few of those guys who have been doing it for a long time, but there are a lot of guys who've been seasoned in that, in that way, you know? Um, and I, I just feel like that's a, that, that's the way to learn is, is by being in there with somebody like that. I was in uh, Liverpool this weekend. I know you were over in UK also, and we, we watched this um, independent show. And first time I've yeah. you know, been to the independent show forever. It was, and it was so much fun. I enjoyed it. You know, like yeah. Jerry, like Jerry yeah. says, we're fans. You know, it's, yeah. it's fun to just sit there and watch these guys as they're, you know, figuring out how to work in the business and stuff. And yeah. there were some really good matches. And then they had this guy, Grado, come out from uh, Scotland. who's yeah, a yeah. And he was doing some comedy and some dancing. And the entire place went crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him there. They love him. They love him there, but he's just an entertainer. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you say, okay, which match do you remember the most? I guarantee you which match they remember the most. That's it, right? That says a lot, right? Yeah, it's like Hogan versus Andre. Was that better yeah. than Steamboat Savage? No, not if you grade it on a one- to five-star level. Yeah. Well, what do people talk about the most, that yeah. average fan? Yeah. Hogan slammed the giant. Yeah. Well, it's thousand people. Right, right. It's funny you say about uh, bringing them up, bringing them down. I met, um, we did, we did Raw and SmackDown in Phoenix. And I tell this story all the time in my seminars. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, we're in Phoenix. Wednesday, ACDC was going to be in the same building. My wife at the time was flying out. So we ended up going to see ACDC with Hunter in China. Hunter had just done Saturday Night Live with ACDC as a musical guest a few weeks before. So you kind of got to know those guys a little bit. So before the show, each, each one of ACDC came in and it said hello to us, but Brian Johnson, the lead singer came in and I remember him saying, what you guys do is exactly the same as what we do. You come out on stage, you bring them up, you bring them down, you bring them back up and you send them home happy. <laughs> and I was like, so I use that in my seminars and go, it's that simple. It is that simple. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's the, that should be the structure of your match. That's to be the structure of the show. You know, I, mean, I ran into Sammy Hagar one time backstage at Fox and he, he said almost the exact same thing. Yeah. He said, you know, anybody can play in front of 20,000 people, 
it's how do you play in front of 200 in a bar when they don't really are not really there to see you. Yeah. And he said, the guys who can do that are your guys who become the mega stars and they play in front of 20,000 people because they've yep. really learned the business from the ground up. Yeah. And they learn the art of it all. And that's what, you know, we say all the time. That's why a Kurt Angle is one of the most amazing guys of all time, not yep. just his work, but the fact that he came in and sold out arenas. Yes. You know, he didn't have that, that, that back background and that education of, you know, wrestling in front of 20, 30 people and learning the business the hard way. Yeah. He had to come in on top. Yeah. It sounds like, oh, that's, that's really bad. It really is tough. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And for him yeah. to succeed as he did and be one of the most entertaining guys, it just tells you how great Kurt Angle is. Yeah. I mean, he was just, I think he was, what made him so good was he was just so open to do anything. You know, he was, he, his legitimacy, like everybody knew he was the gold medal, you know, Olympian. So he, he had the legitimate background. So when he did all the entertainment stuff, it was like, it was just amazing. It was amazing. I don't know if we'll ever see another one like him. You know? I, I used to talk to Kurt all the time because some of the stuff, quite honestly, I, I get upset about, you know, I'd, I'd argue at production meetings. Of course, I was outnumbered all old raster don't understand showbiz, you know, Michael P.S. Quote Michael P.S.A. I'll show you. <laughs> so anyway, I go to Kurt and Kurt, are you, are you, are you comfortable with this? Cause I'm damn not comfortable with it. And he, yeah, I, 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 I can do it. I can do it good. I can make them, make them, make them enjoy it. And I, one day I asked him, Kurt, why do you agree to all this stuff? You know, why do you agree to him, you know, putting a little cowboy hat on you, you, you sounding like uh, Don Layfield singing in the shower? You know? <laughs> why? And he said, funny. He said, I have so much confidence in myself that I can, I can overcome that. He said, it doesn't bother me. He said, when you, when you live with confidence like that, he said, you can do anything and, and make them believe it. And, and he yeah. could. Kirk could yeah. Do it. Yeah. yeah, he was so good. But, you know, those shooter boys were nearly all like that. You know, Brock was like that. Brock didn't care. No. Yeah. Brock would do anything entertaining. He knew he could beat up everybody. Yeah. Kurt knew out of 8 billion people, he was the best wrestler on the planet. He was the golden yeah. horse. Right. You know, it's funny because of the shooter guys that come in were always the guys that were, they were the easiest to work with because they knew it was a work. Yeah. And, uh, and they didn't you have know, a mindset about it. There, Kurt told me one time, he said, there were some guys playing some ha-ha with him in the ring. Not, not really, just kind of ha-ha. And Kurt yeah. didn't like it. And he, and he pulled me aside one day. He goes, what do I do? And he was, he was asking, is there some professional wrestling, you know, thing that you do? And I said, Kurt, you want a gold medal. And he just looked at me. He goes, I said, you take those boys down one time. Yeah. It's it stops. I yeah, promise yeah, you. Yeah, and that yeah, night yeah. I was sitting there. I told all the guys, y'all might want to watch this match. Yeah. <laughs> John, it's you know, he fault, took them down. He didn't hurt them. He just took them down. And they're, they're like, oh, my God. You know, because Kurt would Kurt was like the nicest normal guy until yeah. he like goes into that almost that wrestling mode. And you're like, oh, okay, Kurt, stop, stop, yeah. stop, yeah. stop. I'm yeah. playing, Kurt. Yeah, Kurt was so nice. The guys thought they could take liberties with him, you know, and, and get by with it, and they did because Kurt was such a nice guy until somebody like Layfield smartened him up, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it don't take long once once you resist that. It don't take long for everybody to seize the assist. <laughs> he was so proud of himself one time. We were in a match in, I think, Earl's Quarter O Arena in London or something. It was a last man standing match, and we double hit each other with a chair, and we both have a double knockdown. 
So Kurt tells me afterwards, he goes, I got up at eight and fell back down. Technically, I won. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> it was so good. It was so funny. <laughs> he was good. He was awesome. But what a, what a an entire crew we had back then. I mean, you, oh. you and you and Brian were so good together. Uh, which was crazy because, you know, I mean, you know, we didn't really hang out outside of outside of the ring. Not like you and Ron. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you we guys really had a completely work. different lifestyle. I mean, uh, Brian was a guy that enjoyed the nightlife and enjoyed, yeah. enjoyed his, uh, his beverages, adult beverages and all that stuff where you were married, you were married young and you're starting a family and you were, you're one of those guys that, and thank goodness I, I, I got some great stories about you saving your money. You know, you, you coming to me for advice when you shouldn't be going that guy up in the corner up there. <laughs> for but you and I, you know, we, we invested in properties and stuff like that. And you were always bleeding me for information, which I was really impressed, Scotty. I thought it was great that somebody, you know, had, had listened along the line and, and knew how to knew how to go about their, their life after. Yeah, I, I guess I was always afraid of the life after, you know, um, and that's, you know, it kind of goes for the, the whole a good fare to have. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I, I can't say I did so well in the real estate bubble, but <laughs> I <thought> I was <laughs> dead. <laughs> but no, it's all good. You know, it, uh, yeah. And I was always like, yeah, I would always see these old guys who were like, you know, broken down and didn't have anything at the end. And, and uh, it was always a fear, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the re same reason I didn't fall into the, the drug scene. I think, you know, I just saw so many guys ending up the same way in a bad road. Uh, it just, it scared to death, you know, scared me to death, really, literally, you know, like where I just didn't want to uh, end up that way. So I was the same way with pills. I, I, when I was started in Texas, I saw guys addicted to pills and yeah. I never took them. Even when I had surgery, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take pain pills because I saw how, how addictive they were. Yeah, they, they scared me to death. Yeah, same here. Same here. Now I've yeah. got a ton. Of, I got a ton of other vices. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But pills are not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did you guys get Rikishi? That was one of the greatest things ever. Once you guys added that big monster, who yeah. all of a sudden people realized was this really entertaining guy. Yeah, so I remember Brian and Brian and I came back together after his ACL tear. We came back on a raw in October of '99, uh, and then we were kind of by ourselves until uh, somewhere in late November, December. I thought it was Dece I thought it was December, but I, I might be I might be off a little bit on my dates because I know. Yeah, no, that was right. They put a, they put him with us in December, and all I can remember is Michael Hayes saying. Junior's going to come out and, and save you guys. It was something with the Mean Street Posse, and I think British Bulldog and Val Venus may have been involved, and, and Rikishi's going to come down, make the save, and then we want you guys to do like a, a post-match victory dance. You know, so, so you know, and, I, and I, I just thought recently, I wonder if that was a rib that backfired. You know, here you have this 400-pound Samoan and a thong. You know, you have Brian and I acting like goofs out there. And then, you know, we want you guys to all dance together. It's, it just kind of feels like it could have been a rib that just kind of worked out for us, you know. Um, but whatever it was, man, I don't know. It was, I always say, like, the, 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 the three of us at the time were pretty much on the chopping block. 
And, and then the, we, we got together and it was, it was magic. Like I said, you guys were on fire. I mean, you guys were, were as hot as anybody we had. No, it was crazy. It was, uh, so if you think this is, this, this is uh, something crazy. They put us together in December in January was the Royal rumble where we all, we danced in the middle of the rumble and had that crazy moment that people still talk about, you know, 22 years later. So we were only together for a month at that point. And we here we are at Madison Square Garden, sold out in the Rumble, doing the dance in the middle of in the middle of the Rumble with everybody on their feet, standing up, clapping. It it, it you talk about like having a rocket put on you, like it was a it was a rocket for sure, you know. But but you know we were surrounded by amazing characters, you know. Everybody at the time, like I said, you know, everybody had their thing. You know, Hardys were doing all the stunt stuff, and then Edge and Christian were doing their thing, and they were a little bit of comedy, and then. You guys were just beating the hell out of everybody. Dudleys were beating the hell out of everybody. And they were a bit of a hardcore team. You know, we were a bit of comedy relief. You guys, even though you guys were tough as hell, but you would your backstage stuff would be comedy, really. You know, so it was like everybody, you know, Rock, Austin, Undertaker. It's insane to think of the line of Godfather, you know, Val Venus, Gangrel. Yeah, it's New Age Outlaws. The, dude, I mean, it's, it, was, it was insane, the roster. Yeah, so it was, I mean, we were surrounded by phenomenal characters at the time. And it was just, like I said, the right, my, my career peaked at the right, just at the right time. But you know, you also had selfless characters, you know, at the time. Yes. You know, so like like me and Ron, it, it was a rib. They asked us to dance with you guys. We didn't care. No. They, they thought we'd no. care. I mean, no. literally, they came to us and you could tell it was tongue in cheek. We want you to dance with, with Too Cool today. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. What, what are we going to do? Bitch about it? It's a work. Yeah. And the audience loved it. They loved it. Oh, my it. God. We got out there and danced until they finally said, guys, you got to go home now. You got to quit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 They they loved it because they would take characters who you wouldn't expect to dance and then they would dance, you know, and it was, it was, it was just, and you know, that all of that, all of you guys dancing with us kind of helped make us, you know, like you said, it was a selfless time where everybody kind of made everybody. You know, yeah, Rock, when he was absolutely on top of the world, Undertaker, too, we made him go through the door at the APA. Yeah. You know, and, they, yeah. And, they, and they and they played along with it. Yeah. They, you have they, to, right? They, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like it was the, the roster back then. Everybody was very was selfless. You know, he was like, well, yeah. we're too cold today. Awesome. We get a dance. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be awesome. Doesn't matter. But yeah. it's, what are they going to remember at the end of the? Yeah. When they're walking out of this building at the end of the night, what are they going to remember? That your yeah. guys that had been in the office at that time, that was one of the greatest things that, as an office guy to see all this major league talent being so so selfless. I mean, uh, you know, it was it, we all knew it was for the good of the house and good of the business. There were no selfish people there. There were selfish people, but that never came out during the course of an event, you know. Everybody worked with each other for the betterment of what we were doing. And I think that's what made it click so well, because you guys were, you guys were a true team at that time. Oh, for sure. And I mean, everything was sold out at the time too. So it was like every, every, every night seemed like it was sold out. You know, if it wasn't sold out, it was like, all right, what's, what's going on? What's is Madonna, Madonna's in town, Madonna's next door. Like something's got to be, well, why, you know, why are there a hundred tickets left? You know, like, but it was almost literally every single night we were selling out. So it was hard to be anything but happy, I think, at that time. It was just such a great time. You know, you know and a lot of it came from the top down. You know, like, oh, for sure. Stone Cold was such a performer. 
Yeah. You know, the Undertaker was such a performer. You know, yeah. Shawn Michaels, Triple H, those guys, you couldn't get them to go under half an hour. No. I, mean, no. I don't care. I'm not trying to make fun of the town, but it's a small town. We, I don't care if we're in Poughkeepsie. Yeah. They, yeah. they were going to go half an hour. They're going to give mm-hmm. the people who paid money, just like that was Madison Square Garden. And they did that every single night. And when you got your top guys out there that are that giving to the fans and cared that much. To say that that fan that fan paid money. I'm gonna yeah. give I'm gonna give that fan their money's worth. Yeah. You know the whole rest of the crew just kind of kind of falls in line. For sure. You know, and I can remember close. You know, we would close those shows a lot of times. You know, Brian and I would go on early, and then Rikishi would be in the main event, and then we'd end up involved. You know, and then there's DX, and you know, we're Worm and Hunter, and everybody's Worm and Hunter, and it, big shows getting Worm, big shows doing the Worm. Like everybody was just open to doing everything, and it was just such a such a great time, man. That, that's right, Scotty. You know, in our TV days, you know, massive long ass TV days, 12, 13 hours. But at the end of the night, you know, we give them give those uh, give the audience a little something to go home with. We never had issues trying to, hey, John, or hey, Scotty, would you guys mind going out there? And everybody was volunteering to go out because that, that dark segment after TV was over was usually one of the most entertaining segments. Yeah. Oh, that's it. So night. much yeah. fun. Sure. <laughs> guys would come back laughing, having a good time. You'd be sitting there. Man, I'm glad yeah. that worked out. But every night it was like that. You know, you guys are just blasting for the people there. And our fans were fortunate. Our, our talent was so fortunate to have the fans, but the fans were so fortunate to have that type of talent that was so giving to them. Yeah, yeah. Now, I can remember, you know, a lot of times watching, you know, watching the main event, seeing the, the finish happen, and then seeing, you know, some people trying to rush out of there to, to beat the traffic and thinking, man, you guys are going to miss some good stuff right now, and you don't even realize it, you know? Scotty, I remember you got me one time. We were I was at the end of a show, and I was taking everybody's finish. And uh, one of the guys that uh, – Scotty, did you freeze up? I think Scotty froze up on us for once, Jerry. Uh, good, not me. The worms Damn broke. Scotty. He's, he's in the middle of the o, o and R, I think it is. <laughs> the worm's frozen. Yeah. <laughs> Scotty. There you yeah, are. Can you hear me? Yeah. Here you now. Scott, you froze in between the R and O. Yeah. You got me one time. I was out there and I was, at the end of the, the night, I was taking everybody's finish. And one of the guys who's, who was known to imbibe a little uh, was about to hit me with a, a big uh, move. And he, he leaned over and you go, Be careful. He's baked. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm sitting there <laughs> and I was so alarmed. You go, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's all right, man. I wish I had more like uh, more video of, of some of that stuff. You know, somebody posted a, a, a house show from Madison Square Garden on YouTube recently. Tagged me in it, and it was it was a, it was fun to see some of that stuff that I you know because there was some house show stuff that I never had never seen that we did. Like you know, we used to do the I do the bouncing on the ropes, and I would do the big fall off. Oh my goodness, that was the greatest thing I've ever. I told somebody about that the other day. I yeah. used to see you do that. It, I, I popped every time you did it. Yeah, and I, I had never seen it. And somebody posted this match from the garden, and I, I finally saw it. And Brian and I had this whole sequence. You know, I would do the – he would shine up, and I would get all excited. I'd be bouncing. I'd fall off. And then, you know, he would laugh at me, and then he would start to walk away, and I'd sneak up from behind him, and I'd rip his pants down around his ankles, and I'd laugh at him. Like we had probably – it's literally a two-minute spot of just doing nothing. But Jerry, the, it was the funniest thing. Scotty would start 
standing on the bottom rope and he'd be waiting to, you know, tag in and he'd start bouncing up and down. Then he'd start bouncing really high, really high. And now the whole arena's watching him, you know, just watching him bounce up and down. And, and he, you know, his character, he's wrapped in his own mind. He's in his own world. And then he would miss the rope and he'd fall and he'd go all the way to the floor, but he'd get right back up like he's embarrassed and hold back onto the rope. <laughs> it was one of the, it was one of the, the highlights of my night every single yeah. time. Yeah, that was that was that was crazy. Did you never do that on TV? I, you know, I think I did it on the 9/11 show because they remember they wanted a, no storylines. It was just kind of a lighthearted night, and I'm pretty sure I did it on that on that show from Houston. Yeah. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about: protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for GoliathLife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance, if you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance, super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price. You start the online application immediately and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath life makes buying life insurance. Simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. Words are about to be spoken and the wrestling podcast world is about to be broken. Hey, I'm John Alba, co-host of The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, and I wanted to invite you to join the iconic Matt Hardy and I every single Friday as we take a peek inside the locked room that is one of pro wrestling's most creative minds. You'll hear stories spanning more than three decades in the industry, like this week, when Matt shared his recollections of getting a call from Vince McMahon before the Hardys made their shocking return at WrestleMania 33. Uh, hey, uh, Vince just wanted to, to bust you. Look, look, fuck. Make sure Jeff doesn't do anything fucking stupid and cripple himself tonight. I fucking, I know how he is. Fucking reel him in. All right? Doors WrestleMania. Damn it. Yes, sir. I got it. It'll be good. I promise. All right? I think. All right. See you tomorrow. Hear stories like that and many more from the course of the Hardy Boys' incredible career every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts and with early access exclusively on adfreeshows.com. You were on the well, crazy show. You were on the flight. I remember now going into Perth when uh, Nathan Jones quit. Yeah, that's right. That was on that same trip the uh, from Alaska, the, the, the bad plane ride. Yeah, that's right. We almost had the, the plane crash in, in Russia. Yeah. And then we went, we went uh, Seoul, Korea, Singapore, and yeah. then Perth, Australia. Yep. 
What a crazy, who booked that? Yeah, I'm just shaking <laughs> my head now. Listen to those sound. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was an eight, nine uh, hour flight every night. Every yeah. night. For a one-off. Yeah. And we got down to Perth. And you remember right before that, Nathan Jones would just quit talking. He was just rocking back and forth. And here's this massive man. We're like, what? But this may not end well. Yeah. Uh, and then he was he was going over that night, I believe. Yeah. It was his hometown. And yep. he had it. He just grabbed his bag and walked out. Lily walked out of the backstage yeah. arena. Yeah. Never came back. At the event, right? At yeah. the event before yeah. the match. And he was going over to his hometown. What had something happened that week, or no? Did, it's just I think just his travel, his travel drove him crazy. Uh, I, to my knowledge, nothing happened. I talked to him several times because he would always it was crazy. He would ask me about monetary policy in Australia. Uh, I mean, he was a, he was he was a sharp guy. Uh, yeah, and all of a sudden he just decided that he didn't want to be in WWE anymore. Just got his bag and walked out. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty rough travel schedule on that one. So. Then we flew back from Australia, from Perth to the Gold Coast and refueled and then flew back to wherever and to TV. <laughs> yeah, we landed. So, do you remember we landed somewhere and there was something wrong with the plane and they'd order a part? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It was the worst tour ever. Just the sound of it, all the different countries. And like you said, that's a nine-hour trip every night. And, and that gets you. I think yeah. that's when Michael Hayes had the book. <laughs> His geography that ever was. All right, let's send them to Perth, Australia. Yeah. I love Michael. You know what's bad about making fun of Michael is when he's not here to defend himself because <laughs> he's so entertaining when he defends himself. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scotty, uh, you, 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 when, when you, when you retired, uh, you, and you, you decided to, to go over to NXT and share your knowledge over it. And that's such a rewarding position. Position, isn't it? I mean, it's it's so much fun to share your knowledge with these these kids. They're, they're all wanting to to know how to how to do things the right way. Yeah, it was great. I had no idea how much I was going to enjoy that. Like I said, I never went to a wrestling school or was never trained, so it was intimidating to go in. Um, and as I I don't know, you know, if I can, if I can do this, but but I, I did. I fell in love with the job and uh, really really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, and it gave me uh, the opportunity to, to not only coach, but like I said, to produce on a TV end and then to produce uh, the, the NXT road shows, the, li the live events. You know, I was the main producer on the traveling road shows for probably the last year or two. It would always be me and somebody else. But that was really my wheelhouse was, was, was the live events. And I, I didn't really enjoy producing TV all that much, but I did. I loved producing um, the, the live shows, you know, because it was, it was putting together a live show was, was similar to putting together a match for me. So, you know, like we said, bring them up, bring them down, bring them back up, send them home happy, you know? And, and I think I, you know, I, I took a lot of that stuff that we used to do that we talked about in the attitude era where we'd always leave them on a super high note, you know, where we'd send guys out there and, you know, have a big bang at the end and send everybody home happy and a, a feel good moment where the audience feels like they're seeing something, special that the next town's not going to see or they didn't see the night before you know and a lot of times it was it was just let's let's see what we can do with this and let's make, make some magic and 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 a feel-good moment to, to send everybody home happy and want to come back and, and see us the next time we come to town but um yeah the, the coaching was uh was 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 great too but i really i really really liked the producing end of it uh, you did, did you work something with, uh, 
with Jack Lanza? You did, didn't you? Yes, 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 yeah. I always thought, you know, there were been some great agents, but I always thought Jack was the best agent, you know. Yeah, he was live events every night. He was so calm and so rational about everything he did. It was just he had a great he had a great manner about it. Yeah, he sure did. Jack didn't seem to get upset over anything either. I mean, he was so even killed the entire time. Yeah, and you can't, right? You can't. Like. Oh, you can't. But he was like that, you know, back in the old day in the ring, too. I mean, you, you know, we'd work St. Louis and, you know, Sam and those guys, Pat, and they were real demanding on, on what you do out there. Lando would get you to the side and say, kid, just follow me out there. Don't get in a hurry. Just stay with me. You know, everything will be good. Yeah. And we'd come back, you know, they'd be ranting and raving. Well, you did, Jack said, hey, the match got over, right? Yes, it did. Okay, leave us alone. <laughs> That's it, <right>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. One time, Jerry, we were in, uh, I think, Winnipeg, and uh, Jack told me he had to do something. He goes, hey, would you watch the curtain for me? You know, you know, fill in for Jack's role, you know, while he had to go do some business with, uh, you know, somebody. So I'm sitting there, and Eddie Guerrero gets a beer spilled on him, and Eddie gets up and punches the fan. And so now Eddie – Eddie's lost it. He's beating his fan up. Another fan tries to jump in. And Eddie beats him. Well, I'm a heel. I can't go out and help him. You know, I'm, but I, I'm the guy that's responsible at this point. So I grab the dumbest thing I think I've almost ever done. I tell Chavo, go help your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Chavo goes out and starts fighting with Eddie. <laughs> that's like that's like two on eight. And so, and of course, the Guerreros did very well. Right. So anyway, they finally separated. And thank goodness, you know, this was back in the day. You know, when they, you know, now it'd be lawsuits and everything else. Back then, it's like throw these guys in jail. The bums are drunk. Anyway, yeah. they come back. And Jack goes. Anything happen? I go, no, I think good, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were we were in Hershey and it was Brian and I. Well, this is when we were still too much. And Jack said to us before we went up, he said, after you go through the curtain, make sure you turn around and acknowledge the people up up high. Like, what the heck is he? T-? You know, you knew something was up, but it did just didn't sound right. So we go out, we're making our entrance, we turn around. There's Billy and Road Dog with the super soaker standing in the entranceway, <laughs> just sprayed us down with water guns. <laughs> Jack loved a good rim. Oh yeah, that's 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 fun stuff, fun harmless stuff, you know. We used to Owen one time used to would get tape and he would you know you remember Howard Finkel would come out to Welcome to the Jungle yeah and yeah. Howard would do those squats and he get fired up and he'd burst through that curtain like a bolt of electricity you know and he'd come out there in his tuxedo looking all nice and to go through his whole spill Owen put a string of tape. Like ankle high, right <laughs> on the curtain. We're sold out. Welcome to Jarvis playing. Howard's getting all fired up. We're sitting there watching. He should have known because we're all sitting there watching. He busts that curtain. He catches his feet on the thing and he falls flat <laughs> on his face in front of 20,000 people. And that's the wow. start of the show. Wow. So from then on, Howard would burst the curtain open. He'd take a step back, look down, and then, and then, then go. Do tape check. <laughs> yeah. Scotty, before you went to NXT, you're you're doing a very honorable uh, profession there. You, you you decided you wanted to get into the fire prevention uh, business, and and you you went to fire school and uh, and first responders uh, school, right? I did. So I was uh, I saw forty coming fast, and I said, "What am I going to do now?" You know, I'd been I'd been out doing independence for a few years, and I was like, oh, "I need to find something different to do." And I ran into a friend of mine and. And uh, he talked about how they worked 24 on, 48 off, and you know, 20 years you get you get the, the pension and all that stuff. So I went home, signed up for the fire school, 
figure, okay, I start at 40 years old, I retire when I'm 60, I have the pension, I, I can still do my independent shows because of, you know, the, the way the schedule works. And uh, so it seemed like the right thing to do. It seemed like there was a bit of a brotherhood like there was in wrestling and kind of seemed like the same type of thing. And so I went, in, went out and uh, spent $4,000 to go to fire school and another 1500 to go to the EMT school and then uh, never did anything with it. <laughs> <laughs> But if a fire ever breaks out in an arena and somebody needs uh, some something, they have a heart attack, you can help. Yeah, not at this point. I don't remember any of it. But, <laughs> but, you know, it was it was one of those things. And I always say, like, it's, you know, people people think it's about the, the, the money and the fame and all of this and moving on from this. And it's not that. It's just the greatest job in the world. Like, even where I'm at right now, you know, out doing independence, like, I'm traveling the world on somebody else's dime. You know, I make my own schedule. I, I get to go out there, put baby oil on and spandex or whatever and, you know, play wrestler for the night and, and, and entertain crowds and make solid money doing it. And, uh, you know, why, why, what, what, how do you move on from this after you've had such a, uh, a you know, great, great, great life doing, doing I, I this? I saw where you posted something like that, similar to that, you know, where this business, you know, it gave us a chance to see the world, make, make great friends like we're talking yeah. with today, you know, where else can you, can you have have that camaraderie and, you know, just be satisfied, you know, with what you've done. That's it, right? It's not the money or the fame. It's just every everything that goes into it. Part of it. It's just the greatest. The, the friendships that you make are, are eternal, too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's amazing, and, and just every, all of it—the friendships, the travel, the the you know. The, I, I could do without the airplanes. I don't mind the airports. It's the airplanes, you know. But uh, you know, I do. I like still. I love the travel, and they, you know, I, I have friends. You know, we we all do friends all over the world from this. You know, and places we've been that we've never would have went otherwise. And uh, so it's like, how do you? It's not the money or fame. You know, that's all. That's all bullshit like that that comes and goes and and uh it's all that's kind of you know materialistic type of stuff but it's 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 just the rest of it and just doing something that you love so much and like how do you go do something else and get the same type of satisfaction from it i think you know um jerry and i felt the same way that's why we started up the podcast you know during covid we were so bored and we started just calling people or text people. And somebody told us, a friend of ours, Josie, told us, said, why don't you do a podcast? We go, Look, I doubt anybody will want to listen to it, but it'd be fun for us. Yeah, yeah. And so we just started having, like, even old friends on here talking bullshit. It, this is the most fun thing we do every week. Yeah, it's great, right? It's great. Like, I, And I think it's funny. I can remember uh, – they did that gimmick battle royal, I think it was, in Houston at WrestleMania 18. And Bill Irwin, they brought Bill Irwin in for yeah. that. And, I can re you know, I was still active at the time. But, you know, they brought him back. And I can remember him saying in the green room, he goes, I can remember driving down the road when I was younger, you know, going to shows. And I would drive by people's houses. And I would look in and I could see them. I could see them in their house. They had the light on with the window, the, the curtains open. And I go, I wonder what they're doing in there. You know, he goes, now I sit inside my house watching cars drive by. <laughs> and he goes, I wonder where they're going. <laughs> Bill Irwin was the most miserable human being. I love Bill. And, and by the way, when he, was, when he was the goon, he was getting over. He was the one guy out of that whole crew that was really getting over. Uh, but Bill would always, we'd have a place. It'd be decent business. Bill, how's the house? Ah, big money, big money. Yeah. That's all he'd ever say. That's funny. He'd always say that about, about Bill. How's the house? Yeah. Big, big money, big money. That's funny. You know, uh, you may know uh, John Tatum. 
Yeah, Hollywood, absolutely. Yeah. So I when they got Michael Hayes into the business, his dad ran the Pensacola Fairgrounds. Yeah, really? I worked with Hollywood. Hollywood was Hollywood was good. Yeah. Was so, so, so I've never met him, but the whole who 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 I stole actually yes. Yes. He used to do that. You remember that? He would I, do that when they would introduce him. I've seen him do it a hundred times. So I that's never, where that came from. And I, but I've never met him to tell him that, you know, I've never, you know, so this bullshit move that I came up with, I stole from this guy that I used to watch when I was a kid. And I just used to, I don't know, that's unique. Something about that. And that's where the whole who, who, who at the end of the worm came from, which John Hollywood Cato. did it as a faux uh, judo karate guy. Right, right. So he would right. act like he knew karate. He'd do all this crazy stuff. He was a heel and he yep. do all this crazy, crazy stuff. But he he could work. I never, I, I can see it now. Yeah, I never, I never knew that. So that's what it was like. I had all this build up to this bullshit move, you know. So then I did this. This it was like a martial arts type thing at yeah. the end, just just to drop the chop across the chest, you know. And I'll get blasted on Twitter still, you know. Every once in a while, somebody, you know, the the keyboard keyboard warriors will will you know talk about oh, all that work just to do a stupid chop. Yeah, well. Idiot. That's what made it work. That's That's what, that's what made that work. You know, you didn't think I didn't know what I was doing. Like I'm doing all of this, these theatrics just to get to this shot, you know, for the the people's elbow. Yeah. Same thing. Right. All that work for a move. That's horrible. (laughs) But but what do they show when they show the rock? They show the people's elbow. Yeah. I mean, it's a hokey move, but, Everybody loved it. All the great, he had some great matches. But what yep. do they show? They show the one thing that created that. the emotion. Yeah, yep. so funny. That's so cool about Hollywood Tatum. I, I never, yeah, I heard he was a Florida guy, but yeah. I, you know, he lived up that way. But I ended, I've never met him. Yeah, his I've, dad. I've never think, met him either. He, I don't know if his dad worked around the Pensacola Fairgrounds or anyway. Him and Michael Hayes uh, broke in. <laughs> he helped break Michael Hayes in. That's funny. Huh? <laughs> Uh, he's, the, he's the one, huh? Yeah, <laughs> he's the one. Damn. <laughs> yeah, Tatum can work. Bill Bill Irwin can work. Uh, Bill Irwin's brother Scott was the one that invented the uh, superplex. Really? That's where Bob Orton got it from. I remember him. Yeah, I remember Scott Irwin. Yeah, Bill man, used to work in, in cowboy boots. Man, he Bill was Bill was a great worker. He was. Uh, both both of both of them were really really good workers. Both of them were beginning when when I was kind of in the mid of my career. And they came down to Florida. First, I saw I saw them in the Carolinas, and then I left and came back to Florida, and, and they came down to Florida also. Huh. That's where they really started getting over down here in Tampa, really starting to discover themselves that they could go, that they could, they could be players in this business. Huh. So, Scotty, what you the story was, I, I think I asked you, I don't know if I did or not, uh, you, you asked for your release from NXT, right? Yeah. Uh, are you happy now with, with what you're doing? Would you like to be back coaching or no, oh, no regrets, no regrets. I had to do it. I knew I was starting to feel similar to how I felt in 2006 when I re-signed my last talent contract, I signed a three-year signed a three-year deal in like 2006. And, uh, the first contract that I was handed in 97, I couldn't sign it quick enough. I didn't even read it. I just, all right, where do I put my name and send it back to them? I never even really read it, you know? And that was the, that was the days. You remember the old contracts? It was like, what, oh 14 days at 150 bucks a minimum or something like that? It there was, was no one-sided money. contract in the history of contracts. Yeah. And it was yeah. that thick. Yeah. So 
so here I am in 2006 being offered, you know, a, a guarantee, you know, a contract with a guarantee in it and, you know, a three-year deal. And I sat on it for a month and I was ta- talking to my wife at the time and I wasn't happy. I was, wasn't really doing it, just kind of floundering, just a body really, you know, working with the flavor of the week or working dark matches with, you know, somebody that you knew was never going to do anything and just getting beat up and just no direction, you know, and I felt like, okay, it was time to go. But I ended up signing the contract and then a uh, short time later got released and then uh, started to feel the same way at NXT over the last, you know, it, over the last six months that I was there to a year, maybe, you know, things started to change a little bit and the vibe started to change. The energy started to change. Um, and it just started to feel the same way. And I was like, and then, you know, and then I saw people outside of the company, like, um, you know, Matt Cardona is the, the guy I always go to. Like, this guy's like, he is his own machine. He's his own promoter. He's using social media in a smart way to promote himself. And he's become his own machine, you know, and he has control over everything. So I reached out to him a couple of times asking him, you know, what do you think I could make outside of here if I went back? You know, should I, shouldn't I? And so, you know, a few different people just kind of marketing themselves and, and without being with a major company. And uh, it just seemed like it was, it was hot out in the independent scene. And, you know, I, I saw some cool stuff going over on over at AEW with crowd wise. I was watching, you know, not the in-ring stuff so much. It was, it was just like watching this hot crowd. And I was like, man, there's stuff outside of here. Um, and it looks like some people are having fun, you know? So it just, it was a bunch of stuff. Like maybe it was, you know, it was part me, it was part them, it was part combination. It was part me going through midlife crisis of wanting to wrestle again. I don't, I don't know, but I go, I just, I, I felt like I had to do it. And if, 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 if I didn't, you know, all the cuts were going on also so many releases over the last, you know, you know how it was over the last year or two with it, with, you know, once COVID hit and, and uh, I just felt like my days were numbered and I, I promised myself on the coaching run that I was going to walk away on my own this time. And that's, that was a, that was a goal I had. And I keep saying other than having my kids, uh, me asking for my release and walking away on my own is the, the, the proudest thing I've ever done. Just because thankful for everything I ever got. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't even be having this conversation if it wasn't for them, you know, and, and all the stuff we've talked about today, you know, I'm so thankful for everything, but it, it was time to leave and it was time to go do something else. And, uh, and no, you know, no regrets, no, you know, just having so much fun. Um, I leave Friday for, like I said, doing the, the, the two West coast shows with, with the Alaska thing mixed in there. I've, I've done, you know, I've only been back at it for since January 1st and uh, done two UK tours, you know, and, and they're UK tours where I have some downtime and I get to see some stuff and hang out with friends that I've made over the years. And, and uh, going back, uh, you know, like I said, just got back from the UK, did a week in the UK, going back in July for two and a half weeks. And I'm going to be able to take my son with me and, and have him over there with me, you know, then going to New York in, in May or June and taking him up there with me doing another trip to New York and taking my daughter. We're going to do the whole Broadway thing for the weekend. So do your kids have any, uh, any, uh, desire at all to see the business or to get into business? So my daughter is very theatrical and very, you know, very into the performing arts, but she really doesn't have any interest, uh, as especially not in wrestling. I can't say she would never do any type of backstage interviewer or, or, or some role like that. But as far as the physical part, no, my son uh, just 
not up until recently where he started talking about maybe wanting to do something. So um, I always wanted him to ask me. I never wanted to pressure him to want to do it or uh, uh, I want him to come to come to me. And he just started talking. He's in the other room now. So I'm trying to be careful, but, <laughs> but, but uh, I wanted him to, to be the one interested in doing, it, you know, and I, and I still do. If he, you know, if he wants to do it, I want him to do it the right way. And, and, uh, and uh, I, I would, people, you know, people always ask you, would you want your kids to do this? And I'm like, why, why, I wouldn't not want them to do it. You know, you hear some of the old, old timers, ah, don't get them into this. Like, why? I've had such a great life because of it. And I still continue to have a great life. You know, I feel like I've managed it well and I've, I've handled it well and I haven't abused it or abused myself and, and uh, tried to make good choices throughout it. And uh, it's, it's, I know I'm a lot happier than a lot, of, a lot of other people out there who are stuck in some nine to five job who hate going to work every day. You know, now, now this, I did, I walked away back kind of back to what you asked me about. John is asking for my release. Uh, I, I did. I, it was, it was, uh, I walked away from a guaranteed paycheck in my bank account every Monday morning from Stanford, Connecticut, you know, and, and it's basically back to gig life. And, you know, that can be a bit nerve wracking at times where, okay, I'm, I'm booked solid uh, every weekend up until June, but then June I have one date, then July, oh, I have nothing, but you know, it's gig life. So, you know, it's going to work out, but there's that stress of it. But then on the other side of, of, of where I was at was all these releases happening and I, and I didn't want to be part of a mass release. I wanted to, like I said, walk away on my, my own. And I just felt like I was more valuable um, to the independence uh, if, if I walked away on my own and asked for my release rather than being, you know, because when we're released, it's it almost feel like you're fired, you know, and I, I didn't want that. I wanted to be, I, I walked away from them and, and, uh, and it's, it seemed to have worked out, you know, and I've tried to be smart about my social media and marketing myself and trying to make it as special as possible and look special and make myself look valuable to, to the promoters out there around the world, you know? Yeah. You know, you, you learn from uh, like Jake Paul, it's all social media. You know, th this kid is it's crazy. He's the best heel in the world, you know, and, and yeah. Cardona, I mean, these guys are yeah. all social media. It's, it's insane what can be done. Especially these days with the different apps and the iMovie and all of that stuff that you can put out there and do yourself. I do a lot of my stuff myself. You know, I'll have promoters, you know, they'll send me a text. Hey, can you send me a selfie video promoting that you're coming to? And I said, no, but let me, uh, what I'll do is I'll put together a little 30 second video. That's not me just sitting there in my house with a cell phone that anybody can do. It just, I feel like it devalues your star value, you know, and let me put together a, a little 30 second commercial of me saying that I'm coming to your company, you know, and, and just trying to make it look like a star. We're all just, we're all just normal, normal, boring human beings, but like there has to be something special about you. If people are going to pay their money to come see you. Right. So make yourself look as special as possible. You know? Yeah, we just work. I, 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 I got to give the guy credit. I remember uh, several years back when when they first come to our company, we all looked at him as a freak. And who is this guy? The Miz, Mike Miz. He came in. I remember we're in New Jersey or somewhere, and we had a seminar about social media. Right. And he he was one uh, guys. I'm telling you, you know, we're all looking at Miz. What the hell do you know? Well, hell, look look what social media basically did for him. And and this Ron Paul and, and his brother Jake Paul also they've made a mega superstars. So if they paid attention, you know, you're gonna grow from 
grow from it. And you, you like you said, use it the right way, Scott, and you're using right. it the right way. Right. So I try to try, you know, just try to be smart about it and, and just use it as a marketing tool, you know, and, and try to, you know, post post all of my dates and where I'm going to be and, you know, make yourself look as, as busy as possible to, to the people that are, that are hiring out there and, and they want to use you, you know, especially now I have the value of being able to do the seminars before the show or after. Oh, that's, a show. A, that's a great thing too. Not only can you work, but you can come in and help the help. You got the knowledge of what they do in NXT. So that's, that's a great asset. Believe me, I use it all over the place because it's <laughs> right. going it, it's, it's the guide, you know, and if you can help some one person, you'll make it there. You know, I went up to Jersey or, or New York or Jersey. I think I was in Jersey, but I don't, who knows? Same, same place, Jersey and New York. But uh, I met this young lady up there that, that has got a unique gimmick. She's not quite ready, you know, to take it yet to WWE. So you, you try to tell her, you know, there's other places, there's impact, there's, there's all these other organizations out there that are right on the verge of catching on, you know, try to latch on with it. And they give you TV time. And yep. as you guys know, that's the most important thing. Take advantage of that TV time. Yep. So I, I told her, you know, go to your promoter here. And he got connections with all these minor groups. Have him make a few phone calls for you. That's what the hell they're there for, you know. Right. She's done that, and I've seen her get booked on another or bigger show. So I'm really happy. But you know, just share that knowledge with with these these kids out there. You know, it it it's a gold mine. We think it's just you know passing our, our breath, but man, it's 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 giving them gets gets giving them some ideals to to take forward. And you 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 get so proud when you see one of them doing it. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and, and I, you know, I'll, I'll tell them, I'll, I'll usually start my seminars and I'll say, who's the youngest person here? You know, it's usually somebody around 16, 17, 18. And then, and, and that's how I'll start. I'll go, well, I was 15 when I started this. I was 150 pounds. I grew up in a state where we didn't even have a wrestling school. We didn't have independent wrestlers. Like, and I sit here before you now with all of these years in the largest company in the wrestling company in the history of the planet. And as a talent and as a coach, and if I can do it, you can do it. it. But it's up to you. You have to put the work in. If you want to do this, you have to put the work in. You know, Scotty, where how can all these people get get in touch with you nowadays to to get your services? I'm all over the you know all, all of the uh, social medias, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and um, uh, Instagram has the Scott Garland. But and then from there, you know, I have email addresses. Every I'm very reachable, right. so. Well, Scotty, I, you and I have had such an intertwined uh, career from uh, both sightseeing, traveling together, and working together. We worked together a, a ton of times uh, over the years. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. when Jerry told me that uh, he had got hold of you finally <laughs> to come on the yeah. show, I was so excited to hear because I've always thought you're one of the good guys, and I've always thought the world of you. So thank you so much for, for coming on our show with me and, uh, me and Jerry, the two old guys. No, thank you. And, you know, I think like, I think like, how did I not get thinking about this this morning when I was in the gym? Like, how did I, people have asked me this, how did you not get like picked on and beat up and stuff? And, and I was like, I've always just said, like, don't be a dick was always my answer. But then I think back, like, 
I was riding with you pretty much right out of the gate. So that may have played into it where, you know, I was kind of like your guy and like, they just kind of left me alone because I was with you, but then, you know, and then Glenn also, I rode with Glenn for a long That's time. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but on the other hand, riding with John, everybody hated John and they, you know, so they <laughs> no. you only, they, they knew only they you hated me, Jerry. But <laughs> <Yeah>. still do. <laughs> Scotty, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you guys. Great talking with you both. Thank you so much.